Welcome to That Anthro Podcast, the podcast dedicated to anthropology. Together, each week, we will be learning from the experts and researchers that are researching our pasts and today's problems. My name is Gabriella Campbell, and I'll be interviewing a new guest each week to bring to you the latest and greatest in anthropology, based right here out of Santa Barbara. Join me for weekly episodes, whether you're an anthropology buff or looking to learn something new. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Listeners, welcome back. We have Dr. Amy Body today, which is so exciting. Currently, she's actually my professor, but she is also an associate professor at UC Santa Barbara, at killing it, doing awesome work in the biological anthropology side of things, specifically working within gosh, so many things, but comparative oncology, using evolutionary approaches to biology, um, maternal fetal conflict, all kinds of things that we're going to dive into today. But welcome to the podcast, Dr. Body. I'm so thankful that you're here. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to chat to you today about all these interesting topics. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I'm so excited to kind of like learn personally, I feel like your approach to anthropology is very different than anyone Mm. I've talked to, which I feel like is really good because, you know, I've had a lot of people on the podcast. And so I'm Mm -hmm. always thankful that I get to learn different ways to look at things. So Mm -hmm. just to start, I'm really interested, like, how did you even get started on this path? Were you always a science, science girl? You know, what (laughs) drew you into biology and specifically medicine? Because your PhD is from a, you know, school in medicine. So Mm -hmm. that's a really strong component of your training. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get asked that a lot. I guess I am. <laughs> and so I guess that means I am a little different if, if, if I keep getting asked this question, but it's interesting. I, I've, I've been reflecting on this now that, you know, I'm, you know, a professor and, and teaching undergrads. I reflect on like my journey as an undergrad as well. And I was so clueless. Like I, I mean, I started out at a community college, um, in in Michigan, I was in Metro Detroit um, area, and I did community college for quite a few years, um, just sampling classes. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I I was I, I'm a first generation, so I was a little nervous to even go to a full four year year university. Um, but then I took this biology class, and like I mean. It was a community college. This professor was amazing. He was just so excited to come in and teach biology. And I just fell in love with it. And so 
I ended up enrolling in a four-year university at Wayne State University um, in biology. And at that time, I was, I think in my, I don't know, I, I always say senior year, but I didn't do a traditional like four-year mm. university because I was a transfer student and credits didn't transfer and all this stuff. So I ended up doing my undergrad in like five years. Um, but I will say my senior year, I took an anthropology class. <laughs> and then I was like, I think I want to, I remember coming home and telling my partner, I think I want to switch my major to anthropology. And he was like, you're about to graduate. Don't switch your major. <laughs> Again, clueless. I was clueless. Yeah. Um, and I was like, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, and, um, and then after that, I, I decided again, it's like pretty um, naively, I didn't know what I wanted to do next. So I applied to grad school. I got into um, the school of medicine there in their grad program, but still in the back of my mind. So I started studying actually like super like molecular based things. Like um, I was studying the genetics of aortic aneurysms and um, it just didn't hit my interest as much as evolutionary biology. Mm -hmm. Anthropology. I was studying human health. I, I I went to this school because I was like, I'm so interested in studying human health. Um, but but the like the evolutionary part wasn't there and it wasn't fulfilling. So I actually switched labs in grad school, um, and I um, ended up in a lab um, who the the PI was actually an anthropologist who's formerly trained as an anthropologist and is now in the School of Medicine, talking about um, the evolution of the placenta and evolution of preeclampsia and all these really neat intersections between um, human health and evolution. And, um, and so we were, we were the odd lab out because we had evolutionary approaches in the med school, um, but I think it was really foundational for, for my training, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't realize that you did your undergrad at Wayne State too. So you just spent so much time in Michigan. Michigan yeah. is one of the most beautiful yeah. places. Do, oh. you, do you still like love it? Yeah, I love it. I love going um, up north. There's just so much, there's so many trees, especially, yeah. I mean, after Michigan, we moved to like Phoenix and I was like, and we went camping for the first time and I'm like, what? You're <laughs> like, this is like camping. It's my backyard. <laughs> I know. I feel so exposed here. You just feel exposed where Michigan is like soft and there's trees and it's just, yeah. there's no bugs that are trying to kill you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yes. yeah, no, I love Michigan. I stayed and, and that was something like to those of you that are inspiring to go on to grad school, it was always recommended that you switch undergrad and grad programs, right? It's not necessary. I, mm -hmm. I do think it's good to reach out. Um, I didn't even know that. <laughs> I didn't yeah. even know I was doing the faux pas there. But um, I think I, I just was, you know, my family was in Michigan. We weren't ready to move yet. And um, I, I stayed put. And I think sometimes it was, it's a good it worked life, out well. Yeah. Life decision, even like someone who I'm going to be talking to later, like Hannah Frog did her yeah. undergrad yeah. and now grad at UCSB. Sometimes it just it just works out for people. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't have to be a negative. It could be a very good positive because you have like good connections, a good training mm -hmm. program. You can like have some, you know, continuing um, themes if you, yeah. especially if you did research as an undergrad. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Now the next question I have, <laughs> I feel like you're going to laugh, um, is with the uh, Detroit, Michigan connection. 
uh-huh. do you know Dak Shepard? Oh, I don't. I don't oh, know him. Dang it. <laughs> I do. Wait, though. I do. I, I, we could do like the six degrees if you want. I yeah. think I know an anthropologist. We invited her out here and then she went to school or her husband went to school oh, okay. and they know him. So yeah, because he also he went to UCLA. So he knows like Jason DeLeon and people like yes, that. That's yeah, that's who it is. Yeah, Jason. Yeah. It was so funny. Someone recommended that I have Jason on my podcast and I was like, literally, he's been on Armchair Expert and about 20 other podcasts like there's no way I'm there's no way I'm even trying oh you should try you can try I bet you get them um anyway so Dax Shepard's podcast is the main reason that I wanted to start my podcast um I just absolutely love the way that he asks questions and I love that it's like a very conversation based like human who who are the humans behind you know these cool people so anyway Mm -hmm. I just thought I was like maybe Amy (laughs) maybe she knows (laughs) knows Dax um But moving back to kind of your journey, your first appointment after grad school was at UCSF, right? Which is Mm -hmm. University of California, San Francisco, for people that aren't aware, um, within the Department of Surgery. So what was that transition like? All of a sudden, you're you're now a professor. I feel like it's such a crazy thing to go from a grad student to a professor. Well, I was a postdoc. That was a postdoc position. Yeah. And so after grad school... Um, I went to do a postdoc. Yeah, Department of Surgery. I've been in so many different departments. I've been yes. in the Department of Surgery. Um, I've been in, you know, a genetics department. I've been in a psychology department, and I'm in an anthropology department. Um, so don't let any department define you. <laughs> I think that's a good tip. You can, you can, you can be interdisciplinary, but it is hard to be interdisciplinary because sometimes people ask questions like, you don't fit and and you have to justify why you do. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you don't need that justification. We, we know, um, diverse perspectives are really important. Um, but yeah, that transition to UCSF, I mean, Detroit is a much different city than San Francisco. It was just like, I had this dream. Like I was like, Oh, I got this really awesome job at UCSF. Like moving at that time I had a one-year-old, moving my whole family across the country. Um, I'm so excited. Um, I know we couldn't afford to live in the city. So we lived in the Bay area and, um, I just thought like, I know it's an hour commute, but I'll bring some papers and I'll drink some coffee and I'll just sit on the train and like read, you know, Mm -hmm. before work. And the first day, like I got to the BART station and the the train opens and people are like shoving themselves in and I'm like holding my coffee and I'm like, oh, uh oh, uh oh, like (laughs) I never sat that whole commute. Like I was just squished and it was just such a like naive perspective to have. And then that's the like, it'll were, be a nice leisure yeah, commute yeah just leisure and then it's like people shoving themselves in my coffee filled. yeah <laughs> it's just um so yeah that was that was an interesting time and then we were only there for a few months and then we took off and I spent a year um in Berlin um at the time my my postdoc advisors Athena Actipus and Carl, Carlo Maley um, went on sabbatical to mm. um, this institute in, in Berlin. So I kind of tagged along with them. And How was that with a little baby? It was great. She was, I mean, um, 
she we enrolled her in a, a, a German daycare and oh, so I was I was taking German classes but I'm not very good at picking up language mm. um and so I was I was doing the best I could and um she would come home and she was immersed in and 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 the German language and I had no idea what she was saying <laughs> It's like a little two-year-old and I was like oh, she was like mashing it together like German and English and that's adorable it was really great yeah well I'm glad that it was a good experience with her and and not some horrible stressful thing <laughs> no I mean like there was stress but I, I I I don't know I look back at those times and it was yeah it was I'm really glad we did that. yeah yeah I am too mm-hmm. um so then in 2000 well, actually, I'm not sure what year it was. You go to ASU. Yep. Yep. And that's what we were talking about living in the desert. I've started to yep. realize I need to <laughs> deconstruct these acronyms for like non-US people. So Arizona yes. State University yes. in the middle of the desert. Middle of the desert. Yes. And you actually still yeah. work with that team um, yes. on com- comparative oncology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was your yeah. main role there and like your continuing uh, continuing role going forward? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. So for, for my PhD, I was doing a more comparative perspective on brain size, um, across a bunch of different mammals. And, uh, I used like a life history approach and all this stuff. And then when this job posting announcement came out, it seemed so perfect because it was like, we want to study life history and cancer. And I was like, what? Those are like two things I'm super interested in. Even though I wasn't studying cancer at the time, I had rotated in a lab early on in my grad career and and, um, did some cancer research. And I was like, oh, this is like merging two really cool interests. And we didn't really know a, a lot about cancer and other species during mm-hmm. that time. And so it was super fun to just start exploring that and, and applying life history and evolution to cancer biology. Like, so it had been recognized for a while that um, cancer evolves, right? And it could operate under these evolutionary principles um, within the human uh, host, or as we'll see any, any multicellular host. Um, but it didn't really catch on. And so I, it was really interesting, again, looking back on my, my postdoc, I just came in with that assumption that we all were on the same page with evolution and cancer and mm-hmm. went to this big AACR meeting and no one was talking about like the evolutionary dynamics. Now they are, um, and, and the field has really taken off, but it was, it was really um, interesting to come in on that um, so early on and, yeah. and start building on that. Yeah. And I mean, you continue to work on it. So it's really been something that's kind of traversed your career. And I'm sure it's something that you want to continue building. I mean, I mm-hmm. think being able to be at the forefront of research is really cool because you're asking the questions that you're genuinely interested in that no one's asked before. And mm-hmm. how, how has that been for you? Are you just constantly learning as you go and just using new methods to test your questions I imagine yeah I yes I I like it's such a fun like it keeps you up at night because there's so Mm -hmm. many questions like it's like when the the results come in you just you're not satisfied you're like wait Mm -hmm. what like now I have even more questions to Mm -hmm. ask you know um and so it's really exciting about that and then yeah learning new methods but also just 
getting more collaborations. Um, yeah. And so that's what I find is um, the, the funnest part of the job, um, but also like the most critical is like, okay, now we're kind of studying the ecology of, of cancer biology and we need to like recruit ecologists to the team and, and just getting, pulling methods from different fields means pulling individuals in and teaching them about cancer biology. And yeah. that's kind of like an exciting area. Yeah. How do you normally go about finding the right person to bring into a project um, within those constraints that you were talking about? Yeah, usually, I mean, we've had, it's been on pause since COVID, but um, we started this conference series, um, International Society for Ecology, Evolution, and Cancer. We just invite people to come talk. Um, Like you're an ecologist, we had an ant ecologist, Deborah Gordon, and it, it, it was so relatable to cancer, like just thinking about movement in ants, and you're like, that doesn't sound like it relates to cancer at all, but I, I swear it does. There's certain principles that still apply and um, just pulling them in and, and, and getting them excited about their work and how it could be translatable to cancer biology. So, yeah, that's cool. Are you at a standing desk? I am. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Is that how you all, do you take all your meetings like that? I try and stand up for meetings. Yeah. That's um, good. Yeah. I just this year, my, my back started oh. being pretty cranky sitting for eight hours a day. Isn't good. <laughs> yeah. The human, the human body is the human body is fickle. Yeah. I almost wanted to get, I have a colleague who has like um, a bike. Oh, like a, a bike seat. It's almost like a stationary bike without the handlebar. Uh-huh. And then so you could still like, like, move your arms. Yeah. And then it's like a bike desk. Yeah. I, I, and it's like four core because you're like holding yourself up yeah that's interesting yeah yeah um so now you're at UCSB mm-hmm. and I mean talk about talk about transition Detroit uh-huh. Uh-huh. San Francisco uh-huh. Arizona UCSB you really got like the dichotomy of yeah. I mean not of all the U.S. but that's those are some very different environments yeah I mean I know like so I'm going to be starting um grad school at George Mason and I'm really looking forward to kind of the east coast pace of things because like Mm -hmm. things here in Santa Barbara it is a different pace of life and it's not bad it's just a different pace of life so how was that transition for you it's funny that you mentioned pace because that's I just actually met up with a colleague that I knew in Detroit. Um, she was she was actually on um, one of my um, grad cohorts committees and she got here and she's like give me advice. And I'm like, the pace is different here. (laughs) It's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, just slow down. Like you just gotta, especially coming from ASU, like Arizona state university is booming right now. So when I showed up there, they had just opened the center for evolutionary medicine as well. Um, which is a really exciting time. It was, I think one of the first centers for evolutionary medicine that popped up in the US. And so there's all these people coming in, there's speakers every day. Like, it's just like this. I mean, there, there's, I think 70,000 students at ASU. Yeah. So it's just like this huge, massive thing. And it, and it was like, 
you were on, you had to like, Mm -hmm. you know, it was just a lot. Um, It was exciting, but, um, and then you come here and everything's just much slower, you know, it's just, you got to take time. Um, And I actually, you got to go to the beach. Um, The weather's nice. Let's go outside. Let's take a walk, Mm -hmm. a walking meeting around the lagoon. Um, Yeah. So I really love it here. Um, Yeah, but the pace is so different. I don't think I could go back to speeding up again either. Like, it's just not, I can't believe I, I I used to be able to be productive in such an environment, but you figure it out, right? You adapt to your environment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think the thing I'm looking forward to most is no longer being on the quarter system. Yeah, right now. I mean, we're talking about it. It's it's May. We still got three weeks of classes. Yep. All my colleagues, ASU, they're they're off for the summer. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, I think by the time you get to quarter three, there is just no more juice to recharge. I know the body. My coworkers and I were just talking about that. How yeah. we're all just exhausted, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm looking forward to the semester system." <laughs> I will say the one plus about the quarter system and that I'm super thankful about, especially given like how many great classes there are at UCSB is I got to take like double the amount of classes that a lot of like my friends got to take. And I'm really thankful Mm -hmm. for that. But as a senior, who's now been doing it for four years and two years of pandemic, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for some change. (laughs) I agree. I, I mean, I, my undergrad and grad were all on the, the semester system and coming to the quarter system, everyone from the professor point of view you actually teach less it's Mm -hmm. like two weeks less and everyone's like oh it's better you teach less but there's like no time to really go into depth Mm -hmm. about anything in class like and and for you too like you're 10 weeks you like boom boom you gotta learn everything like I Mm -hmm. even this class you did learn genetics in a week right like and it's like and then that's it we're moving on because Mm -hmm. we can't spend any more time because there's only 10 weeks um to get it all in and I kind of wish there was more time to like because by the time like week seven rolls around everyone's like on the same page and you know the class dynamics and the personalities Uh and I'm like I don't want this to end I don't want a new cohort I want to keep going with this cohort we're finally like in the groove of things and then yeah then it's finals. <laughs> Speaking of, I love our evolutionary medicine class. I feel like every day I go, everyone always has like really good insights. And it's a class where every time someone asks a question, it's like a really interesting question that always like peaks like a new question and thought. It's mm-hmm. so cool. Thank you. I, it's one of my favorite classes to teach. And I'd be interested to hear because I used to teach it and it was smaller. It was 45 students. And we were allowed, we, we were able to have a lot more conversation, um, but it's such a popular um, topic that I wanted yeah. to broaden it. And so now it's a hundred students. And so it's a lot more lecture based, but yeah. I, I really try and still engage. Still, and Yeah, I still, I think I, I honestly, I'm surprised to hear that it used to be smaller just because of the way it is. It definitely seems like it fits for a bigger class. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think you've definitely like built in things to 
to engage that's a class that I would be happy to have a section in you know mm, right. there are other classes I feel I like have a section that don't need it and like that one I would actually be excited to have a section for but also it's so hard for people to fit sections into their schedules I feel like yeah that class I mean that class is just a whirlwind because I want to teach everyone mm-hmm. genetics and immunology sure. I again you have 10 weeks it's like genetics immunology and then I just touch on diseases like each mm-hmm. disease that you only have like a lecture for each disease so I could see how like a section to actually like learn more about what you just did um I thought about making it just a big intro class and then it would have sections Mm, yeah um but really it's just to get people excited about evolutionary perspectives to like their own body um and so part of it's just like here are all the cool topics you can think about like yeah and now you're now go explore it right (laughs) yeah maybe down the road and I obviously I don't know like what your like long-term plans are teaching wise but maybe even making it like an a b class you know like Mm -hmm. as in like there's uh, class a because I've taken like I took osteology at UCSB as a b and mm-hmm. I feel like that was actually really helpful to take them back semesters like back to back mm-hmm. and have a continuation an idea yeah I like that idea yeah I know that you um have honestly like a really big lab on campus in that you work with undergrads as well and in my mind like if you have undergrads grad students and postdocs like that's kind of like a really like booming lab on our campus Mm -hmm. um how do you kind of work within your lab group and foster mentorship whether it's with the grad students and undergrads or mentorship between you and the students um Mm -hmm. what's kind of the dynamic of working within your lab good question it's forever changing depending on the students right? Mm -hmm. Um, And the projects, we're just getting started with um, a project on microchimerism, which is, is, (laughs) you'll learn about it. (laughs) And I think next week and I've met, um, but it's a transfer of cells between the mother and baby. Well, microchimerism is a small amount of cells that are not your own harbored within, within your um, body. And this happens naturally during, during pregnancy. Um, fetal cells migrate to the mother and maternal cells migrate to the fetus. Um, and so we have this really um, great resource where we get samples from Cottage Hospital and then we can look for, for microchimerism in the maternal blood. That's great. And so we've, I, I have a few undergrads working on that and it's really great. Like when we think about mentorship is, so my postdoc um, who was like the only other person in the country that got a PhD in microchimerism. I was so excited to find her. Her name's Dr. Tiffany Pan and she's amazing. And you should probably have her on the podcast. Um, um, But she actually did her PhD in microchimerism studying um, maternal microchimerism in in adult offspring. Um, And so anyway, she she is um, clutch in being able to train people in the lab. She's she's the the one that does it all but it's really empowering because now I have a sophomore who is training other students in the lab so we have a lot of peer-to-peer training happening and I'm super excited because it's just like she's picked up the technique so well and now she's able to to train her peers and I hope to now that we have that system in place I could see how it could 
um, continuously produce some peer-to-peer -peer men mentorship. And I'm really excited about that. And we meet like once a week to just talk over what they're doing in the lab and look at data analysis. Um, so yeah. Awesome. It's pretty great. One of my friends is in your lab, Nikki. Oh yeah. Yes. Nikki's wonderful. I love um, Nikki. And I, I'll just, um, they're amazing. They just went to a conference this past weekend and they won. Yeah, I was just about placed to ask. Wow. And it was, you know, they're undergrads and they were competing against grad students and all that. So they did That's wonderful. Incredible. I was going to ask how the yeah. conference went because you guys camped. Yeah, we camped. Well, I didn't. I, well, we camped, but a few of us had an RV. <laughs> hey, that's still so, version of camping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. But it was really great. It, I love this conference. It's been virtual for two years. It's called CWES. It's just a bunch of, I guess it's been running for like 20 years. Um, and it's just linking the California schools together. And it's, you know, evolutionary approaches um, awesome. to social scientists. Um, so there's a lot of psychologists, anthropologists that come, evolutionary medicine folks. And um, it's it's broadened, like there's, there's people from ASU coming now and, mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's really great, but it's a conference for students run by students. And it's one of my favorite conferences. Yeah. I love, I definitely like, I think conferences that are more intimate like that, that aren't just like a whole, like talking about like AABAs or something, you know, sometimes yeah. it can be so overwhelming, especially for your first or second one as an undergrad, it's so much yeah. better to be able to get your feet wet in a really like down to earth environment like that, where you can actually talk to not all, but a good chunk of the people there. Right. And I mean, it's just such an accessible conference. I had an undergrad that was like, she wasn't presenting, but she was like, can I still go? And I'm like, of course. And it's free for them. And it's, they can drive to it. The camping was free. Like, and so they just needed a tent and, um, and it's the camping part is fun too. They get to sit yeah. around a campfire and like talk to other students from different schools and mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, every time I think about like sitting around a campfire, it's like our evolutionary, like home. That sounds weird, but like, yeah. it's such a yeah. long time pattern and custom that like just the idea of sitting around a fire and sharing is it has connections to all of our ancestors and hominids and everything yeah it's wonderful yeah, yeah. it's really exciting um so what we talked a little bit about this project that the students are starting but what are your main in the next five years let's say projects that you're working on and topics that you're pushing forward to produce research on and mm -hmm push out new papers? I see. Yeah. So I'm really excited. We have been trying to get funding to study microchimerism for um, a while now, and we finally secured that funding um, through the Templeton Foundation. So that's going to be a major focus. Um, it's 33 months of funding and, and it's go time. It's, it's, it's so wonderful um, to finally have those resources to dig into these questions. And there's so much to learn about microchimerism. There's so much we don't know because the rare cells circulating mm -hmm. and a half Ge genetic identical host, right? So it's not like completely different cells. Um, they share half the genome, right? And so um, trying to find them and figure out what they are has been always a really big challenge, but we have some 
we have some techniques we're going to use and we have some really interesting evolutionary questions. We think these cells aren't just byproducts. We think they're maybe important um, for, for the host, um, especially when it comes to the maternal body transferring immune cells to the developing mm -hmm. fetus. Um, we could see how that could be beneficial. Um, and the flip side, um, my lab is going to be studying the fetal cells that, that migrate into um, the maternal body. Okay. And we also think those have really important purposes as well. Yeah. And on the like nitty gritty about what's like the size of samples you're getting from Cottage Hospital? Like how many right. blood samples are you looking at? So right now, this we are running a pilot study and we probably have 150 samples. Okay. Um, but the, we're developing a longitudinal study design, which is really exciting because a lot of these microchimerism studies in the past have been um, cross-sectional. So it's just one snapshot. We know there's variation. Some people have very little microchimerism. Some pregnant people have a lot and we don't, we don't know. And so part of it is it's like a big, you know, exploratory effort to figure out that variation yeah. and start asking why there's probably a dynamic with the host immune system and these microchimeric cells. So we're going to try and, you know, um, profile the immune system. Um, but the longitudinal study design will help us with that. And we're going to get about 500 women in, enrolled and um, take samples early on in pregnancy and then at labor too. So we're, we're really excited to have um, two time points. Yeah, um, that's really exciting. And hopefully we'll, you know, put, put more puzzle pieces together. I feel like that's really what it is. Yeah, it, it really is. And we were... We, I work with a big international team on this. And for all of us, microchimerism has always been a side project. Because mm. again, it, the rare cells are hard to fund, but we're really excited. And like, that was kind of our argument to the funding agency. Like, let's make it not a side project. We could really get some traction if someone invested in us and, and it could be like the focus of our research for like yeah. the next three years. Like, let's make it a focus and see if we can do some discoveries. And so we're really excited about that. Yeah, that's really exciting. And so a lot of the processing happens like in the wet lab. And do you work in the bottom of the bioengineering building for that yes. stuff? Okay. Yeah. 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 It was so funny when I came to your class for EvMed the first day, the last time I had been in that building was pre-pandemic, however many floors down doing wet lab stuff. And I was like, oh yeah. my gosh, this is what the top, this is what the first floor of this building looks like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is what a classroom yeah. in here looks like. Cause it's like the new, it's one, not the newest because they're building one, but one of the newest buildings on campus. So it's yeah. very nice and swanky. Yeah. We feel very fortunate to have lab space there. It's a, mm -hmm. it's, it's really nice to have a brand new lab and, and big space to, yeah. you know, have trainees come in and be able to, to work. So for sure. Yeah. Um, switching topics a little bit, what are some of the lessons, you know, we talked a little bit about the pandemic and when you've taught EvMed at a, in a different size, are there any kind of lessons from online teaching and pandemic life that you're applying to your classes going forward? Cause I think there are some takeaways that we learned, you know, in all the craziness. Yeah. So you mean like, um, online? online learning in general and if I could take are, anything are, away yeah or, or just okay. even just from yeah. pandemic life in general you know are there any kind of things that you've applied to your research and or like your classes going forward 
one thing I realized is just making things more accessible mm -hmm. um, over Zoom. Um, also, things that I never thought of before, but you know, every once in a while we get asked in the middle of a quarter, a teaching quarter to go present at a conference or do mm. these opportunities. And it's always been like, well, no, I'm teaching that would take too long or something like that. But now it's it's really becoming more flexible and viable. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, one, I could just record a lecture yeah, and post it and then go to the conference, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's a great option. And the other option is, they they allow speakers to like zoom in now yeah and, and give their talk and so i love that accessibility um that that we're, we're doing and it's more flexible and being able to work from home sometimes especially mm -hmm. with two small kids like being yeah. able to like still carry on my day um if i have to be home with them yeah. mm -hmm. i think it, yeah i think it's really important and it's funny actually when you told us that um, Dr. Joe Alcock was coming in, I automatically assumed he was going to be zooming in on the screen. And then I walked in yeah. and I was like, oh my gosh, he's here in person. Yeah. I think guest lectures have been something that a lot of my teachers have continued going forward. And it's been yes. something that I'm really thankful for. I, I was actually thinking about this. If I could rebuild this class or, you know, pull in more experts, it'd probably be so accessible to ask, you know, someone else to, to yeah. join the class over zoom and just just talk for a day on the specific disease of interest they're they're um interested in yeah yeah that talk that he gave was so fascinating the whole time i was just sitting there like whoa we were learning about um the microbiome and mm -hmm. visceral fat um being deposited based on bacteria and all that stuff yeah, and I didn't actually know his origin story either, but like it was so fascinating to hear. Like, so one, he was a UCSB undergrad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that was wonderful. Um, and then he went off and his dad's a behavioral ecologist. So we, oh. he went in, um, he went into grad school studying behavioral ecology, right? And then transitioned to becoming an MD and an ER doc. And I love that because he, I always just, and sorry, Joe, if you listen to this, I always assumed it was like, he was a, a mad doctor first and mm -hmm. then like dabbled in evolutionary medicine, but no, yeah. he was like an evolutionary biologist first and then decided to go to med school. And I think he has such an important and novel perspective on medicine that um, he's leading the field with. And I think it's just fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And he's a very engaging speaker, I think. And I feel the same way with you. You create lectures that are formatted well. And I know that sounds like the most simple, like <laughs> basic compliment, but really I've discovered how much easier it is to follow and engage and pay attention and take notes to a lecture that has a real structure to it. Mm. And it's, it's really helpful. And I actually should take this time because I followed it. Um, Joe Alcock has also his own podcast. It's called mm -hmm. EdMed and I'll link it mm -hmm. um, in this episode because I've been meaning to check it out because I followed him on um, various things after that talk, because yeah, mm -hmm. he is really fascinating. So I definitely think that even if he can't come in person for the next time you teach it, maybe ask him to zoom for that, that same little like talk or a variation on that talk for the next time you teach it. Yeah, I agree. I was, I was just so happy to have him come talk. And I think it was beneficial to everyone and having yeah. him continue. I'll just bug him a bunch. Maybe yes. uh, he can, <laughs> <For sure. laughs> he can zoom in. Um, yeah, I, the lecture, I am 
I'm a poor learner when it comes to like, <laughs> I think like me building my lectures is based on like uh, how I learn and mm -hmm. how I've had challenges learning in the past. And like, I need visuals. I need like a lot of visuals. And so I, I, I put a lot into visuals into the lectures as well, just because I know that's how I need um, to learn. And so I hope it's useful to others that are more visual learners. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, I think one of my favorite things about um, the UCSB bioanth department right now is something that we were talking about earlier, which is the amount of interdisciplinary research that's going on. Mm -hmm. I think it's really fascinating. And I always... I always like go back to Amy because Amy Anderson is like, mm -hmm. has been, she was, she's been my mama duck since like day one. And she knows this. She's really been such a great guiding she's amazing. force for me. Yeah. Yeah. And she, just because I know her research so intimately and I feel the same way about you, just these really cool topics that are looking at anthropology for, from such different lenses that I think is where the field just in general is going. I think it's so cool to see mm -hmm. all this true innovation people with original ideas that are coming to the plate and just like have the support from you know because I know you know this but people might not know our bio anth department is like really diverse in the amount of things that people study yeah. for a bio anth department like yes it's so yes. much if you're looking at grad programs like just go look and like everyone does something different but within yeah. that we have all these grad students with these really cool research project yeah what has it been like for you to mentor these grad students that come in with just like brand new branching ideas and how does it feel to get to like contribute to that yeah I love it I mean you hit on something that's the reason I I took the position here like I came and I was like oh Santa Barbara actually I, I interviewed right after it was like after the 2016 election and Trump. Oh. And so I came here and I was in a dark place, you know, yeah. like I was, I, it was hard. And I remember interviewing, but I just felt like numb inside really. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was like, yeah, it's beautiful here, but I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know about this. And then I met the department and I met those grad students mm -hmm. and I was like, I want to be a part of this. This seems yeah. special. This seems unique. This is unlike any place I've ever been before. They, they treat each other with, you know, like crazy amounts of respect. They all have these really exciting ideas. And also everyone knows everything about everyone's research, mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's really unique. And it's like, yeah. we, we alloparent as, you know, faculty members, like I, I help with a lot of grad students that aren't like specifically working under me and we know so much and um about each grad student's projects and mm -hmm. I just I was like what a, a special place like and yeah. they told me on, on this position yeah yeah well oh gosh you were here during all the Thomas Fire stuff um yes. have there been any positive like <laughs> like big things that have happened during your time here you I mean you've been here gosh during quite a whirlwind I'm thinking about the time period that you've been it's, here and it's a a crazy it's crazy like we were here for like six months and the Thomas fire hit and the kids were home from school for a month and I was trying to like navigate this new position and start teaching and and it was it was so challenging and then there's the Montecito mudslides mm -hmm. um and then just you know a year and a half later it was you know COVID yeah. Um, so we haven't really, 
I don't know. I, I talked to my family back home and it just seems like California is like, I'm like, it's different living out here. There's just more extremes, the highs yeah. and the lows. There's just more yes. extremes and you, um, yeah, you're impacted much more about, you know, global climate mm -hmm. change and all that. Like it's impossible to ignore here. Yes. Um, and I think that definitely changes like my perception on, on the culture where, you know, California is, you know, perceived to be more liberal or something like that. And it's like, well, yeah, because like you have to like check your phone at night to see if the winds are high and if there's going to be a fire that, you yeah. know, like, especially this week, the winds have been so high. I like, Oh, I know. I I'm feel... not used to it. Yeah. I still have to be like, yeah. are there any fires? <laughs> like, yeah. And, and that's just a normal living, um, for coastal California. And, um, yeah, yeah it's just so yeah. different my kind of like one of my wrap-up questions is for you for you is like what do you like to do on your time off what do you like to do to decompress and relax and enjoy your time you know any hobbies activities or maybe it's just sitting with the family <laughs> yeah well I love um obviously just spending time um with my kids they're at such a fun age right now um 10 and 7 it's like that sweet oh, spot so it's it's just fun and so I've been coaching my 10 year old's volleyball team and Ooh, so I that's fun. love doing that they're so cute and I yeah. can't handle it it's super fun um I also really enjoy, I've gotten really into cycling again. Um, oh, nice. I used to bike a lot in Michigan, but talk about again, differences. Like there's like serious mountains here. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, like, the first time I tried to like go up this, it's called Farron here. I like, I had to, I almost died. I feel like, Yeah. <laughs> but now I'm getting better at it. But I like to do some pretty long distance cycling right now. And that's a really good way to decompress. And it's like such amazing weather here, mm -hmm. except for the wind. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, it was so funny. I was telling my allergist when I was there, I was like, yeah, um, well, pretty soon I'm going to be moving to Virginia and there's going to be a whole new environment. So maybe my nose and my allergies will be happier in that one. I don't know. We'll right. see, or we'll just have a whole new set of problems. Uh, yeah. A whole new set of allergies. Who knows? Yeah. Right. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I just know that my dog is going to run in the snow and live her best life. And I'm very excited for her because we actually this morning got a house and she's going to have a yard. So, so Yay. congratulations. I miss the snow. I do. That's the one thing yeah. here. I love it here. Um, I'll, I'll trade it any day. I, I actually realized when we moved to the desert, I, I like the heat. Oh, I know, like, I know, Good for you. like, the Good summer for you. would come and I'm like, yes. <laughs> um, so I do like the heat. Um, but that being said, I, I miss the snow. And so now in the winters, mm -hmm. I'm always trying to get the, the kids like, let's go find yes. somewhere where it snowed. Let's go for sledding. Sure. Let's like, go have some fun in the snow. I miss that. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't considered it yet, something that you have to do with your kids is take them to the islands um the trail right. islands or Catalina I just went to Catalina mm -hmm. for my birthday um because I wanted to do like a getaway without having to worry about serious COVID exposure yeah. um 
and it truly they are just some of the most magical places ever there's something so special about the islands and Catalina you can stay in hotels but on the other channel islands you can camp which is really nice um yeah we've been meaning to do that um the boat ride intimidated me at first when mm -hmm. I had like a three four year old yeah. <laughs> um but then COVID hit and so we didn't for do sure. anything for a while but now she's seven and we can do it we can yeah. like go camp um and she can she cannot melt down on that boat ride um, so we're really excited yeah we yeah. haven't been out there we just did some whale watching last a few months ago and we we got out to the islands and, and mm -hmm. saw a bunch of whales and it was amazing um but it just made me want to book a trip there even more so yeah yeah the the snorkeling around there and swimming oh it's just oh Catalina well, the, the water was crystal clear in Catalina because yeah it's a very um cliff cliffy island if that makes sense yeah. so there's n the water goes from shallow to deep very quickly so there's not the like equation that waves need to break Mm -hmm. um so there are just little like swells but they're like less than a foot so the water stays like crystal clear and it was just magical and even though it was very cold my best friend and I <laughs> went swimming and people were yeah. walking by us like really it's 65 degrees and cloudy and you're in the water right now and we were like <laughs> yeah. we can't go to Catalina and not yeah. go in the water we're both yeah, just like, ocean it. children <laughs> yeah yeah wait did you go to elementary school around here I did um so, so did I you did do my... see me yeah I went to see me yeah for for the audience, can you explain what see me is? I'm so excited um, for my my daughters to do. See oh, me. I'm glad that they get to do it. So it is. Um, so Catalina is mostly protected, and there are two sides that you can like go and like actually like stay at. And that the one side that I went to for my birthday just now was Avalon. That's like a like like a mini town. The other side is two harbors, and they have kind of these like cabiny things on the beach. And for my school, I went to Crane Country Day School and we um, went and we stayed for probably like a week and we did like um, leadership activities. We did like yeah. um, like a zip lining course. We did um, conservation. You know, we learned about the plants on the island. I think we did some kind of like exercises in conservation and um, snorkeling and we were learning you know I'm trying to remember like specifically what we learned but it was the seventh uh -huh. grade it was a while ago but it was a really cool experience um until they wanted us to go snorkeling at night and a shark swam over my foot and I was like I'm out guys <laughs> and I just sat there in the water crying so much that my mask filled up with tears uh -huh. and they were like fine you go sit on go sit on because now I understand that it was like a swell shark that doesn't bite you yeah but I was in the seventh grade I didn't care I didn't right. care yeah anyway. I'm still trying to get used to, I don't know we were I was um surfing at Devro and they have oh, all yeah. those um swell nurse sharks. sharks yeah and I was yeah. like everyone said oh they're no problem they're no yeah. problem they're tiny yeah, <laughs> the they're, they're about three feet long. <laughs> the first time I saw her, I was literally in like six foot of water and I, yeah. I was about to get out in the surfboard and one swam by and I, I screamed and jumped on the surfboard yeah. like, someone help, sharks. Yes. <laughs> Never looked yeah. at me like I was crazy. It, and it now we like getting used to. It does. Now we go out there just to watch them swim around yes. and go through our Because once you that, spend but... enough time and you see that they're not coming at you, you're like, okay. <laughs> It's all right. My favorite thing is to stand on the cliffs, like in September when the water's so clear, because you can see them swimming from the cliffs. Oh, so cool. And then it's really pretty because you get kind of a view of like 10 of them, with, rather yeah. than when you're in the water, you kind of have your limited view. 
Yeah, you see like one pop up. And yeah. yeah, they're so cool though. Yeah, they are. Um, well, I have one last little wrap up thing for you. Is there mm-hmm. anything that you want to go back on, elaborate on, or any like final questions you have for me before we end this off? Question for you: What's yeah. what's motivating you? What's your background? What's your what's your next steps what are you doing I'm a bones gal I love Uh bones I've always just like I feel this really weird connection to the human skeleton where I felt like I knew all the bones in the body before I like took my first osteo class Uh and I took osteo my first year here at UCSB I was super lucky Amy Anderson took me under her wing and really helped me get the skills I needed I was originally interested in forensic anth and then I switched over more to bioarc because I just personally felt like it was a better fit for me and Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in working in like museums and public outreach because the podcast has shown me how much I love teaching um and I could see myself doing like working at a community college and helping Mm -hmm. kids you know find the right track within anthropology yes community college and Mm -hmm. there's not that much anthropology in community colleges too right yeah it's sometimes rare to have I don't think I had anthropology in my community college So I really want to be like, still, you know, the podcast is not going to last forever. I have, I'm doing it at least through my master's for the next Mm -hmm. two years, but I, that's what I have kind of set now. I don't think it'll be Mm -hmm. a forever thing, but continuing to be involved in outreach. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I, um, I had an interview with Sophie Price who works at a museum in uh, Queensland. And I was really interested in hearing about how they're working to make their museums more accessible for deaf people, for blind people, Uh. for people of all, all disabilities Mm -hmm. all you know everything Mm -hmm. and how important that is and then also working with indigenous communities to have them put the descriptions on their like native artifacts Mm -hmm. I just thought about how I would really like to shape a museum like that you know obviously not the only one but be a part of creating a space for the public that is educational in the most accessible way. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm kind of interested in. I'm going to be in at George Mason, which is right next to DC. So I'm really hoping to kind of get started in some museum stuff, hopefully right off the bat, <laughs> fingers crossed. You yeah. Know? Um, and I'm working with um, Dr. Daniel Temple, who does hunter gatherer populations. And for me, that was a really exciting thing. A lot of mm-hmm. the programs I was like focused on was that older, really kind of understudied sub, you know, hunter gatherers. Yeah. And he works like in Japan, Siberia, Russia. So really at the forefront of migration into the Americas. Cool. So yeah, Super I'm cool. so excited. And my like absolute favorite thing is that, um, George Mason is like a big family and they're all super excited. The house that I just not like got, but like rented is with um, four other grad students that are older than me and have different advisors. And they've all been like so sweet. They're so excited to like about the podcast. They're just so kind and have been helpful because obviously, you know, I'm not there in Virginia. Yeah. So they've been touring all the places and sending me pictures and just like, it's going to be a really new, exciting adventure. I love this. I mean, I just had the best. I, I know a lot of people complain about grad school, but I loved grad school. Like I, mm-hmm. I loved it. It was the most money I'd ever made, even though it still wasn't that yeah. much money. Like it was stability. Yeah. Um, and I am still best friends with my grad cohort. We just like, mm-hmm. I don't know. We just had these connections and it's at a really important time in your life. And we just had a lot of fun. We went through some hardships. It was just like, mm-hmm. 
It's so exciting to yes. hear that you're going to have really like that community. Yeah. Yes. Yay. Yes. And that was a big, that was my number one thing when I was looking for grad programs was for a really supportive and not competitive environment. So yes. I definitely, definitely found that and I'm excited. Yay. You're going to do yeah. great things. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and telling us all about your journey. And we'll all have um, your lab website and all of some recent publications linked below so people can further look into your research if they're interested. Awesome. All right. Yes. Thank you for having me on. It was so great.